I'm so excited. Once again, my name is Daniel James. I serve as a life pastor here. For those of you who don't know what that is, usually what that means is my goal is to do two things here. The first of that is to actually invest in our life groups, which will be launching this Wednesday. Yes, I totally just plugged life groups in the middle of this, this message, and I'm not ashamed of it at all. If you guys are not doing anything this Wednesday, come on out to the church at 6.30. We're going to be vision casting for the next seven weeks of what our life groups will look like here at True Life Church. And while I'm not doing that, I'm also investing in pillar leaders, uh, which I think genuinely, if my pillar leaders are in here, I think they're some of the coolest people that I get to hang out with in the context of my life. And so all of that said, I do want to say that occasionally I do get to come up here and get to preach. And so as Josh allows me uh, to prepare a four-hour message, um, I I thought that would get some of you guys awake this morning. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Completely joke. Um, you know, uh, I, what I am excited about, though, is even for a short minute, I'm excited to kind of extend into uh, our Peace Within series. And so if you guys haven't been here over the course of the past kind of couple of weeks, this has been a series where we've specifically just kind of dived into this concept of what does it look like for us to have peace within some of the crazy circumstances of life. And so last week, if you were here, it was a good one. We talked about what does it look like to, to dive into the craziness of politics, um, because that's not a big thing that we talk about in the world today. And today we're going to continue to talk about that um, a little bit as we move into a discussion of what does it look like to live within a world that's constantly divided. And you see, if you're like me, immediately when you hear the word division or divided, uh, it takes my brain, as far as CNN or Fox News can potentially take it, um, and I'll be honest and say that as I've prepared to this week, it, it really has done that. However, as I've come back to division this week, I'll be honest and say one of the big things that I realized about even my own self is that I can't talk to you about division without first telling you about some of the division that I've seen in the context of my own life. And so for those of you who kind of known me well, and I think I've talked about it a little bit before, so for the past couple of years, I've been serving as an inner city missionary in Birmingham, Alabama. And when I think about the concept of division, there's no place that I think that kind of fits that description more um, than that place in itself. I had the, the beautiful um, opportunity to meet a, a woman named Dr. Alveda King this week, uh, who was the niece of, of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, but what I think is so specific and interesting about her is she stems from a, a house in Birmingham, and her dad was a coalition leader for this city that was actively uh, kind of I would say, characterized and defined by the stigma that is racism. And so a lot of the times, that's when I tell people Birmingham, they think, oh, it's like this, this southern city. Uh, but it's actually still as segregated today as it was back in the 50s. Um, but as I begin to go into the statistics more, that's where it begins to be a little bit different. You see, Birmingham is not just black and white. It's also dangerous and not dangerous. We have one of the wealthiest counties in the country, five miles from the sixth most dangerous city in the United States in the world, okay? And so we then throw that into the fact that there's a socioeconomic dis- different distant difference that is incredibly different. Um, we have, like I said, the wealthiest county and one of the poorest counties in the United States. And so when we really look at it, it's culturally different, it's socioeconomically different, it's, I mean, 
it's just all around different in so many ways. And so as I thought about division this week, I kept going through this idea of well, what is division? Is it, is it poverty? Is it socioeconomics? Is it racism? Is it, is it you know, political views on things like abortion, homosexuality, or, uh, or things like that? What is division? And I honestly will tell you that for the most of the week, I thought I was going to dive in off the deep end to a lot of those things. But as I got into this this morning, I immediately felt the Lord say, man, that's, that's not what I have for you to say today. And so if I'm completely honest with you, today I'm going to preach you a message that I literally did not walk in with this morning. Uh, so at 6 o'clock, this is kind of something that God laid on my heart. And so if I'm just honest with you, uh, I'm going to walk through something completely different. And I'm going to ask you to tag along. Uh, see, <clears throat> and with that said, I just want to open up a minute and realize that my words are not great and Jesus' words are better. So if it's okay with you guys, can I just pray real quick? And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to kind of speak in this place. And so, Lord, we believe that you truly are a united God and that when it comes to addressing the concept of division, there is no greater place for us to look than the unity of yourself and the unity of your Son and your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that in this moment that your words would come to saturate mine and that my words just wouldn't get in the way. Uh, and so, Lord, make you become more and me become less and let us walk away with this morning for a message that ultimately we believe that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this morning, I want to talk about division, right? And if I ask the question, well, how do we find peace within division in the world today? Ultimately, if you're like me, I always have to go back to, well, if that's the problem, where's the root, right? And so as I kind of investigated into the concept of where is the root of division, uh, ultimately I stumbled upon a passage in Isaiah 59, verse 2, and it kind of reads something like this when it says, our iniquities have made a separation between us and God. You see, ultimately what this verse presents in regard to vision this morning, is that division doesn't start because of differences between you and I or differences between you or someone else. Division first starts because of a sinful nature that stems from a core root of us just simply being separated from God. You see, it is our sin in the world that calls us to be um, op opposing to one another instead of united with each other. And so, all too often, this has a tendency to result in dichotomies where all of us sinful people, instead of thinking about the interest of others, as Philippians 2 calls us, instead just try to convince ourselves why our opinions are somehow greater, bigger, better than someone else's. Let that sink in for a second. Has that ever been you? Because I know it's been me. You see, so many times in our world today, we are so committed to being right that we forget that God calls us to be committed to being righteous. And when we're committed to being righteous, often that looks very different than what we see in the world today. You see, in the, in the world today, division looks like things like socially motivated movements or angry, aggressive, political things. Or, you know, maybe it's one of those long rants on Facebook that all of us say we're annoyed with, but yet that still continued to pop up right? Maybe that's what division looks like today. But the one thing that I've consistently kind of come back to is all of those things have one thing in common. And the one thing that they have in common is that instead of asking the question, what does God want? They instead ask the question, what is right to me? 
You see, we are a culture and a world of public opinion. And if we're actually going to move into a world that's united by something, it has to be united by the opinion of Christ. You see, peace within division only begins when we first begin to see, first begin to seek the peace within our Savior. Because it's ultimately in Christ where we find the peace that breaks down every dividing wall that keeps our world from true unity that God desires. So if we're truly to kind of engage in peace, as I walked through this morning, just what passage do I think illuminates that best? One of the ones that I came on was in Ephesians 2, and that's verses 11 through 22. So if you guys have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to use a Josh quote. Uh, my Josh quotes, which are, if you have your Bibles, you may turn them on if you're using a phone, or if you have a physical copy, you can turn them to Ephesians 2. And ultimately, that's where I'm going to be camping out all morning this morning. Should you not have a Bible, uh, I really want to encourage you. I'm going to be going kind of nitty-picky through, uh, through verse by verse in Ephesians today. So there are plenty of Bibles over there in the back right corner. If you just raise your hand, Tony over there will be happy to get you one. Um, should you not have a Bible at home, let me just tell you straight up, write, write your name in it, write it in permanent ink, take it home with you. We want you to keep that Bible. Consider that our gift from true life to you. And so as you guys begin to turn to Ephesians 2, I'm going to go ahead and give us just a little bit of background behind our passage this morning. And as soon as I do that, we'll kind of begin to jump into the text. And so at any point in time that I think you turn into the scriptures, one of the things that I think we constantly forget every time we turn into the Bibles is that there's context when we, when we look at what, what the writers were taking, speaking into the audiences that were speaking. So with that said, in Ephesians, uh, it's important to note that Ephesians was a letter penned by Paul to a primarily Gentile-believing Christian church. Uh, what's led to believe this church is at Ephesus. However, many scholars would go on to say that this letter was actually intended to be a circular letter, so passed around to multiple churches in Asia Minor. And so what I think is interesting about that audience of being a Gentile believers is if you guys aren't very familiar with the Gentiles, it's important to note that these were the individuals at this point in time that were not considered to have been afforded a relationship with Christ. You see, up until Christ's death and resurrection, uh, we start to see this Old Testament movement in which God worked through covenants with the nation of Israel. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> She's got me back there. Um, but no, uh, no, he worked through covenants with the nation of Israel. And so specifically, at, up until Christ's resurrection, really salvation and eternal um, kind of relationship with God was only seen as something that would happen uh, if you were in the Jewish communities, uh, specifically the nation of Israel, and also upkeeping with the Old Testament kind of customs and practices. Now, obviously, as you and I, you and I know, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection comes in and provides a massive change to the realm of what we knew at that point in time. And so thus, out of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Gentiles are provided the opportunity to have a relationship with God. This relationship is the same one that you and I are provided when we talk about having a faith in Jesus' work on the cross. And so thus, as we move into just kind of Ephesians 2 this morning, I think it's important to note um, who the Gentiles were. That said, I think it is also important to note who the Jews were at that time. And so if you'll also notice this, I'm going to tell you a little secret. The Jews and the Gentiles didn't like each other very much. Uh, come on, I mean, they did not like each other very much. 
And so that said, uh, I think that's important to note when we start talking about Ephesians 2, because ultimately, in this passage that we're going to read this morning, what Paul is caught doing is specifically addressing this straight on. You see, it was a rivalry or tension or division, as we call it, between the Jews and the Gentiles in the midst of this time. And as we read through this passage, I want you to be encouraged that ultimately what Paul says to them is not different than what I think the Lord is also speaking to us in the context of the world of division that we live in today. So if you guys got your Bibles on, hopefully everyone's kind of rolling. We're going to start in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. And it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what it was called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So that kind of reiterates this idea that at this point in time, the Gentiles were not understood to, be have, a, to have a relationship with God. And so thus, I think it's really interesting um, it, why Paul begins with this is, if Paul's trying to talk about the rivalry between the Gentiles and the Jews, why does he start with the Gentiles' relationship to God? Now that seems strange. And so what I got out of that is, as we dive into Paul's address of this division, I think it's cool that he notes that because what he begins to show is that you really can't talk about one's relationships horizontally until you start talking about their relationships vertically. And this is exactly what Paul starts to illuminate when he begins to talk about the Gentiles. You see, ultimately, Paul goes in to say that the Gentiles were four basic things. They were uncircumcised, which at that point in time would have been a complete, hey, you are totally not with the faith. That is, that is a huge no-no. Two, they were Christless, right? So they didn't have Christ. They didn't see Christ. They didn't understand Christ. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise, which means that they were not grafted into the Abrahamic, Mosaic, or Davidic covenants. And more so, they were just simply without hope. And you think, I think it's so interesting that Paul starts there because as I've reflected on those four characteristics this week, one of the big sobering things that I realized was, gosh, that is totally me at some point in time in my life. I don't know about you guys, and maybe it's you today, but I remember the moments when I was far, far from Christ. But never then did I realize that maybe it was because of my farness from Christ. Farness is a word. Come on, I'm from Kentucky. Give me some slack. Give me some slack now. Farness. Come on, farness. But there you go. It's good. Come on, I'll keep that. It's good. It's good. That's what we say about KFC, where I'm from. Um, not where you guys are from. You might want to check yourself a little bit. Uh, but no, so, you know, it's this idea that, that you know, Paul looks up, and, and, and he addresses the, the, the Gentiles' relationship to God. And what this specifically kind of illuminates is that, man, your relationship with God will always reflect your relationships with others. And so when we talk about division, something that I want you to take away this morning is that if your relationship with God is divided, don't be surprised when your other's relationships follow suit. You see, in the end, what Paul illuminates is that Without Christ, there is no peace. And if there is no peace, there's no peace to division. And so here we are with the Gentiles, and it seems like this doom and gloom. Well, sorry, y'all. Here's where you are. 
But I love how he sets that up because in verse 13 he goes on to say, but now in Christ Jesus, who once, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And you see, essentially what Paul does here is illuminate the fact that while a divided relationship with Christ might lead to divided relationships elsewhere, ultimately this is not something that, cannot, that Christ himself cannot first set back into balance. So let me tell you folks, in the midst of our world today, I start to see this, this, this switch that happens because of verse 13, and it's this idea that, hey, we might have problems between black lives matter and blue lives matter, and we might have problems between pro-life and pro-choice, and we might have problems between white, black, blue, brown, or orange. But guess what I learned from that scripture? Ain't none of that is problems that Jesus can't fix. Amen. You see, Jesus, if, if, if division is the problem, Jesus is the solution. And this is directly illuminated when Paul goes on to say that it is the blood of Christ that ultimately serves as the mediator between the Gentiles and God. And as I read this passage, a lot of the times I think you have a tendency to look over something, but something that I found so interesting is that he says it's the blood of Christ that, that, that serves as the mediator between us and God. However, when he goes on, out of this same sacrifice, Paul goes on to say that it was in the flesh, in the same sacrifice of the cross, it was in the flesh that the Jews and Gentiles were then reconciled to each other. Let that sink in for a second. So many times we look at the cross and we see, this is what God did for me. And it is 100% true. But when is the last time that you looked up and said, this is what God has done for us? You see, Christ's, Christ's cross is sufficient for you, but it's also so much more than than insufficient than for the rest of our divisions. And that's something that really hit me today. And so as I just kind of walked into this process of, well, how does it look like for us then to respond to the cross in light of division? And the number one thing that I kind of came back to is that it starts with us just looking to the cross. And I know that seems simple, and in many ways, it might seem like it's just overdone. But when is the last time that you honestly looked at what happened in the world and your first thought was not, I can't believe that's happening, and instead was, Jesus' cross will fix that. Jesus' cross can heal that. Jesus' cross is sufficient to fill that gap. You see, man, we look at the news and the world and the visions in our world so wrong. Because if we look at the fullness of the cross, we don't see division. We see the unity of Christ. And when we see the unity of Christ, we see the fullness of God. And in the fullness of God, there's not black or white, there's red. In the fullness of God, there's not hate, there's love. In the fullness of God, there's not he against she. Instead, 
it's just us. So as I encourage you this, this morning, church, and I know it's kind of short, and, and I'm okay with that. So this morning, I, I wanted to do one thing, and it was to, to simply communicate that in the divisions in our, in our world, don't be afraid to claim the power of the cross. Because Jesus' blood covers our failure. Jesus' blood covers their failure. And in the midst of both of those things, he unites us together. Just like the Jews and the Gentiles who were once far away from each other, we have been brought into the newness of Christ to be united as one. So this morning, as we move into just a time of communion, one of the things that I really just wanted to ask you guys to reflect on was specifically this idea of what the blood does and the concept of your, your life with Christ. You see, as Paul illuminates the blood in itself, it serves as the mediator between you and God. And so I don't know where you are this morning in the midst of that spectrum, but one of the things that I do want to encourage you with is whether you're lost, whether you're found, whether you're questioning, or whether you're far off, the good news of Christ is that he's sufficient and there to answer every one of those needs in every one of those places. The better news is this. Not only is he sufficient, but he's already answered it. And the good news is that he's answered it through the blood on the cross. But the next thing is this. Not only did God come in and serve as the mediator, or did Christ come in and serve as the mediator between you and God, so does his flesh also serve as a mediator between you and those around you. And so many times we have a tendency to look at division and think big social movements or problems on the news. But I'm led to believe if we're honest, sometimes there's division right within our very own room. You know, sometimes there's division within a husband and a wife. And I know we're all too prideful to say that we just don't fight. Right? Yes, I did just make a rhyme. But you see, even in those divisions, Christ's flesh is sufficient to bring us back to one. And when his flesh brings us to one, his blood brings us to him. So this morning, I just want to take a time. And honestly, I just want to take time out because we've been talking a lot about what it looks like to have peace within but if you don't ever sit down to talk about what it is that you need peace in how will you ever know what to look into the cross and ask for so I don't know what you're going through this morning Josh is just going to be up here playing for a couple of minutes and I just want to give you guys a couple of minutes to just Simply reflect on where it is in your life that you need to find peace. And as a couple of minutes pass, I'm going to ask Brandon to come up and we're going to, we're going to partake in communion. And as you come up, I'm going to ask you this one thing. And, and it's just a simple action step this morning. It's this. As you take from the cup, reflect upon how Jesus has served as the mediator between you and God. As you take from the bread, reflect upon how he is serving as the mediator 
between you and those that you might not just not agree with. Reflect upon how he's serving as the mediator between the world and its problems. And be ever encouraged that in the mixture of those both, Christ is sufficient to overcome. See, there is no division in the kingdom of God. We're all united and we stand as one. So as we just enter into this time this morning, I just ask you to reflect. In a few moments, we'll have you guys come up for communion.